Sometimes we, particularly in the Western world, get so fixated on God being there for me and putting me at the center of God's thought and will that we forget that that's not the perspective of the Bible. Remember, in the Bible, putting ourselves at the center of the equation is satanic. In the Bible, it's all a question of who is king. And if God is king, then that means our relationship to him is servants, which means he gets to use us however he wants because it's about his will, his purposes, his glory. And if we're going to truly be his servants, we have to have that perspective. Coast Church. How are you doing today? Hey, you need to come with me to Israel. Last fall, I had the opportunity to go to the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'll tell you what, God spoke so clearly to me that I said, man, when I get back, I want to convince every single person to go home. There is something really special about going to Israel. And even though it was my first time, it felt like I was going home because so much of my faith is based out of a place that I've never been. And when your faith gets replaced with sight, when what you believe happened gets replaced with seeing where David fought Goliath, there's something that activates in your faith. And so for more information, grab your phone. And text the word Israel to 32320. And as details come out, we'll keep you informed. But you gotta go uh, to Israel. Let's take a moment to pray for today's sermon. And if you could, hop up on your feet, because I need your prayer power this morning. God gave me a word for you, and I am so afraid to say it out loud because it's convicting and it may change everything in your world. It's changing my world. and if the spiritual attack I've been under this past week is an indicator that the enemy doesn't want you to hear it, well, get ready. Get ready. So grab the hand of the person next to you, and let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your presence. We thank you so much for the gift of your hope. We thank you so much for your gift of freedom. And right now, physically, whether here in Mount Pleasant or in Asheville or watching online or at McClellanville or in Greenville, we, we're united. Our faith is intensely personal, and it's also intensely communal. And so we gather together as your church, and we ask you, Lord God, will you speak to us today? Joel Delph is prepared. He's ready to go. But unless you breathe in his heart and in his soul and through his lips, this is just a waste of everybody's time. So we ask you, Lord God, will you move in a mighty way? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. 
And everybody said, before you take a seat, find a neighbor, look him in the eye. Find a neighbor, look him in the eye. I'm watching you not do this. Find a neighbor, look him in the eye, and ask him, how are your goals this year? How are your goals this year? Sit down. I said, ask him. I don't say confess all your stuff. Goals. How you doing? You got your six pack back yet? Who's a millionaire in 30 days? Anyone? If you are, I want to meet you. Um, how are your goals going? 30, almost 30 days in. Are you still on the wagon, off the wagon? Uh, a few weeks ago, I was with a friend of mine, and we were going to um, have some fellowship with prayer and guns. And um, uh, while we were driving there, uh, he's a super successful guy. I really respect uh, one of his goals in his life was to uh, complete 100 triathlons. And he's like at 84, 85. I'm like, that's just different level. Uh, what I love about my friend is that he, when he talks about his kids, who are both adults, he's their biggest hype man. Like, he's so proud of his son. He's so proud of his daughter. And what they're doing is vastly different, but he is the biggest cheerleader in their corner. And so I respect them. And when you find someone who lives right, listen to them. Ask them questions. And, and he's an achiever. And so I say, hey, man, uh, what are your goals this year? And he's like, you know, uh, I kind of do goals, but after a while, I've kind of figured out my rhythm. And what I try to do when I spend time with a successful person, I try to ask them this. What is the thing that they're not saying that their life is screaming? And one of the things that I've learned with successful people like my friend and others is that goals are cool, but a person with vision, there's no stopping them. Vision beats goals every single day of the year. So that's why if you lose the 20 pounds, but you don't have vision, you'll gain 10 of them back. That's why if you get the goal of getting out of debt, but you don't have a vision, you'll creep right back in there. Vision beats goals each and every day. There's once this guy. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 in a minute, but I got to tell you about this guy. He got done spraying for cockroaches because that was his job, and he did it at night. It was 7 a.m. He got out of the shower, and the Discovery Channel was playing. And as the Discovery Channel was playing, they were talking about the toughest military training in the world, BUDS, basic underwater demolition SEAL training, and it is the toughest military training on the planet. The fittest men in the United States military apply, and 80% of them fail. 20% of them get through the training. The same statistics since the 50s. They've tried everything to up the percentage, and there's no way they do it. 20% of the sharpest, smartest, fittest people in the world survive this training. And this man, a cockroach assassin, he, he gets out of the shower, and he's hearing them talk about this thing, and he's like, man, I want to be the toughest man on the face of the earth. He gets a vision in that moment. And as we just talked about, vision beats goals every single day. But the vision inside of him 
didn't match what you would see on the outside or what you would know about him with his statistics on a sheep. He was negative buoyant, which means he's at a genetic disadvantage in the water. He, he's afraid of the water, can't swim. And oh, by the way, he's over 300 pounds. And uh, you can't move all that weight in the toughest military training in the world. And he was excited about his vision. So he walks into the Navy recruiter station and says, hey, I want to be a Navy SEAL. But the outside didn't match what was on the inside, and that recruiter laughed him all the way out the door. A recruiter who's supposed to find people in the military couldn't see it, goes into the next recruiting station, they laugh him out. Next one recruiting station, they laugh him out. Five recruiting stations, they laugh him out until the sixth one where recruiters said, hey, if you're crazy enough to think you can do it, I'm crazy enough to help you get in. The program that he qualified for, only problem was, it expired at the end of the year, 12 weeks. And so the recruiter looked at him and said, hey, man, you got to lose 109 pounds in 12 weeks. Hey, that's crazy. That's not sustainable. If you're a dietitian, you're like, that's impossible. But guess what? Vision beats goals every single time. And when you get a vision for something, you can do what others see as impossible. And 10 weeks later, a young David Goggins lost 109 pounds in 10 weeks because he decided to work out six hours a day, every day for 10 weeks. 21 years later, he retired with a fulfilling career as a United States Navy SEAL doing what others said was impossible. Yeah. Hey, hey, do you have spiritual vision? Do you have spiritual vision? Let's define it. Spiritual vision is a clarity of purpose and a commitment to follow the leading of God in your life. Spiritual vision. Spiritual vision beats goals every single day. Spiritual vision will help you see joy when everything else around you sees sorrow and pain. Spiritual vision will help you gain strength when everything about you should say that you're feeling weak. Spiritual vision allowed my friend Lee Carrick this past Thursday at his wife's celebration of life to get up and for 40 minutes talk about the love of his life, who in the month of December went in on a Wednesday with a reoccurring cough. They found out she had stage four lung cancer, never drank, never smoked, worked out every day, organic everything. And then six days after that diagnosis, she was in the arms of her heavenly father. Crazy part about it, is whenever I'm hanging around the Carrick family, I walk away stronger. I try to go to encourage them, and they're a blessing to me. Why? Because somewhere in the middle of it all, they have eyes that see what others can't, ears that hear what others can't. And Jesus, he was so mad at the Pharisees because they couldn't see what was in front of them. Check this out in Matthew chapter 13. Picking up in verse 14, Jesus 
couldn't handle it anymore because the Pharisees saw the miracles. They saw people being raised from the dead. They heard about the fishes and loaves. They saw all these things, but they still couldn't see Jesus. And he said this, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever, you'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. But this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. God sent me on assignment today to tell you to get your sight back. Get your sight back. Spiritual blindness is costing you too much in this world. Get your sight back. Their hearts got calloused, and before you knew it, they couldn't see what was in front of them. Spiritual vision, a clarity of purpose, and commitment to follow the path God has set out for you. Do you have spiritual vision in your life? Spiritual vision is actually a fruit, and Today, as we conclude our series, The Power of Routine, I want to share with you a habit that the fruit of it is spiritual vision. The fruit of it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. The fruit of it is the favor of God flowing in your life like you never thought possible. But it's a four-letter word that you don't like. It's a four-letter word that can cause a riot. It's a four-letter word that may, may even make you walk out or tune offline. It's a four-letter word that may cause you to actually say back at me your favorite four-letter word, and I know you got one. Don't lie in church. And the word is obey. O-B-E-Y. Obey. Obey. It's talking to friend of mine is 24, just graduated college, and we were talking about the dynamics with his family. And he was talking about his parents and some frustration he had, and then I, was, I, I told him like this adult pro tip that I think you all should know. I said, hey man, your relationship with your parents, it's a two-way street. When you're little, it's all about what they do for you. But maturity happens when you have a reciprocal relationship with your parents. So it's not that they call you It's how many times do you call them? It's not that they come and visit you when you move to the new town. It's how you visit them. It's a two-way street. And the same thing is true with our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a two-way street. He has done so much for us, set us free from our sin, given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, allows us to walk in freedom. We get to be one with the Father just the same way Jesus was. We get so much, but it's a two-way street. And our obedience is how we reciprocate his love for us. Check this out in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, picking up in verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. 
All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is letting us know that the key to unlock revelation, the key to unlock favor, the key to unlock so many of the blessings we're designed to have is locked up in our obedience. So let's talk about some of the the benefits of obedience, the blessings of obedience in our life. Obedience builds strength and courage. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're getting ready to get thrown into a fiery furnace. And their obedience to God in places that are unseen gave them strength to stand up against opposition and said, amen, whether we live or die, we ain't bowing. Obedience covers us under God's protection. I got a degree in economics, and sometimes uh, my understanding of money does not always line up with spiritual vision, i.e., I don't always want to tithe because I'm like, that 10% could go somewhere else. But what I've had to learn is like, man, when I'm obedient to what God has called me to do, one plus one never equals two. There's always an asterisk with the power of God in our life. I've had countless times where just because I was walking in obedience, I was covered under God's protection. My parents would always pray for me that God would protect me from dangers seen and unseen. That's what his obedience does. Obedience produces patience. Obedience produces appreciation. My son, who's four years old, he wants to drive my car. But if I give him the thing that he says he wants, it would kill him. He's not ready for it. But when he reaches maturity, I'm going to let him drive the truck. And guess what? He'll be ready for it. and He'll be blessed by it. And so many times in my life, God has built patience so that when I got the thing I actually prayed for, I was ready for it. Obedience clarifies priority. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When I walk in the ways of God, he lets me know what's important. Obedience gets us on track when we fall off. When we fall off. Not if we fall off, when we fall off. God is comfortable with you being imperfect. God has made a way for you to be completely human, make mistakes, and get back on track. I'm not trying to get you to be more perfect today. I'm just trying to get you to stay obedient. But this is an awkward sermon to preach because um, one of the things we try to do every Sunday at Seacoast Church is take the uh, platform and push it down to ground level. What do I mean by that? The platform, the pulpit, the microphone is so you can see and hear me, but it's not so that you can think that I'm standing over you with my finger wagging and saying, hey, live like me. No, 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 no. So today, I wanted to bring you into my confessional. 
I wanted to bring you into my little confessional booth, and I wanted to tell you all the real reasons why I, Joel Delft, don't obey God. So step in to my confession. Hi, my name is Joel. Y'all haven't been a support group, have you? Hi, my name is Joel. And I don't always obey God. And here are my reasons why. Uh, since we're confessing, uh, one time when I was 24, I was in Rome and I checked out a, a nun. I don't think you're supposed to check out nuns. I think, I think that's an indicator that I needed Jesus. Oh, man. I need him. Okay, why do I not obey God? Uh, it doesn't always align with my natural instincts. Sometimes what I feel like doing is very opposite than what God's calling me to do. And so I just do what I want to do. I don't make time to ask God. I run around the world thinking that I've got what it takes to survive and thrive. And I don't systematically seek his face in the morning like he tells me to in his word. Do you have that problem? Boy, no, it's about me. Um, I have forgotten his commands. When's the last time you read the, the Ten Commandments? I read them the other week and I realized that like coveting is a thing. Do not covet. Thou shalt not covet. Why? Because the moment I start coveting, comparison steals my joy. And before you know it, I start compromising things I know I shouldn't do because the desire to get that next thing is so high. I forget his commands. Here's a big one. I have abused his grace and I no longer fear him. I forget that the God I serve is still the Old Testament God. He's a God of grace, love, and mercy. But I also got to remember that he's the God that wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. He's the God of the flood. He's the God that killed Ananias and Sapphira when they lied about their tithe and giving. I got to remind myself that there's no greater friend than God, but he's not to be played with. I'm stuck in a cycle of sin. Here's my cycle of sin, and maybe it's yours too. Isolation, temptation, sin, satisfaction, shame, and I'm back at isolation. Isolation. I get alone with my thoughts. I get alone in a toxic community, and before you know it, I get tempted. And temptation is just a shortcut of a blessing that most of the time God would give you anyways. So I take the shortcut, I commit the sin, and it feels good. And if someone tells you that sin doesn't feel good, they ain't doing it right. Come on, somebody. But then the penalty of sin is the shame and the problems and the complication. And because of that, I get isolated again and again and again. Have you ever felt yourself getting stuck in that cycle? I wanted to share the story of a friend of mine who God crashed in her life in a way that she was able to break the cycle of addiction in her life. Take a look. 
I'm dealing with this unworthiness of feeling like my addiction is keeping me from being able to receive salvation, keeping me from being able to do anything for Jesus. I grew up in a really small Methodist church, and it was great for like developing that foundation, but there was no real presence of like the Holy Spirit there. Growing up and watching like my father go through rehab when I was 11, addiction was an issue I was going to have to deal with at some point in my life. We had our first child whenever I was 25, and having this baby that I had no idea what to do with, that really kind of pushed me over the edge of this place of just like utter desperation, anxiety, postpartum depression, like this perfect storm of isolation and then coping by drinking. One night when I'm probably like four glasses of wine deep, I got on Facebook and wrote this post on our neighborhood Facebook page. This one particular church kept coming up over and over and over again. And it ended up being amazing because God gave us all of these people to really pour into our lives. And I just wanted to be honest with people and so I'd be like, I have a problem with drinking. Like, how, how are you gonna deal with this? Are you, are you gonna stay? Are you gonna go? Like, how, how are you actually gonna like walk me through this? I had amazing, amazing friends that just poured into me. One of the girls who was attending my small group, she had spoken me through her experience with getting over alcohol addiction like six months beforehand. And she was like, girl, you have to go to Freedom. And so I was like, okay, I'll give this a shot, whatever. You were supposed to have the Holy Spirit minister to you and tell you like what specifically you need to have prayed over regarding that issue. Out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit just like struck me in my gut and was like, you're afraid that you're never gonna get over this. And I was like, like oh my gosh, I can't believe that that's what I believe, but that is, that is absolutely what I believe. That is what I'm most terrified of. Each consecutive session just kept building and building and building until finally at the end, like we walked out of there so light and also just in awe. And I was like, guys, I think I'm sober. That was, you know, this massive turning point of going from going through the motions in Christianity to actually like walking with Jesus, receiving the gift of his salvation fully, receiving all of the healing, receiving all of the amazing things that he has for me. Through me be just being like transparent about what I had gone through, I was able to tell my story at my Nashville church a year after I had gotten sober. Through that and then through all these other crazy, amazingly orchestrated series of events, my dad came to know Jesus and he just got baptized back in July. So like I've already seen like just this ripple effect of like freedom being birthed through my family and like I'm I'm believing that I'm the last generation that is dealing with this. Can we thank God for what he's doing in the life of the Dillingers? Hey, that video will preach all day because that is a glaring example of our whole series, The Power of Routine. The Holy Spirit arrested her because she was willing to get in community to think different. The power of prayer and the word of God helped her see a cycle of sin that she was in and 
when she took a step towards freedom, it set off a ripple effect in her family. And so as we go into response time in just a few minutes, I really want you to do some work today. I really want you to do some work today to ask God, like, what do I do with obedience? How do I become more obedient? Where in my life have I just become comfortable with living in disconnection from the power of God? So two things I want you to think about doing today. One, ask God to reveal to you areas where you need to obey. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him what's your first step. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of understanding. Search my heart, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God, hey, search my heart. And he'll tell you, you're a little prideful. He tells me that all the time. Hey, you need to go back and tell that person sorry. They may not have been offended, but you need to be humble enough to say, I need to set the record straight. Hey, your addiction... It could look like a lot of different things. It could look like Netflix. It could look like living under your calling. But ask them, God, will you reveal to me where I need to obey? Come to your senses and turn to him. That's the second thing. Come to your senses. Allow today to be a moment in time where you trust that he's good enough that when you come to him, he'll bless you. Go back and read Luke chapter 15. That's your homework today. And in there, Jesus is trying to talk about the power of God and the love that he has for his people. And he gives this parable called the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son took the blessings of God and ran. And maybe you're in the room today and you're living with the blessings of God, and instead of walking in obedience, you're running. You're running. But there came a point where this young man got so low that he was a prince, but he was in a ping pen. And he's like, man, Scripture says this, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. Go back to my father. The amazing part about it is when he turned towards his father and he started making the way home, his father saw him from a long way off and ran to him. The amazing part about your small steps of obedience is your small step of obedience to God allows him to run to you in your life in a way you may have never experienced before. Will you obey? Jesus said, if you ask him, he'll tell you what you need to do. So what if we took some time today to ask God, how do I need to obey? Because if you 
make a habit of obeying, then the fruit of it is spiritual vision. Vision beats goals every day. You need spiritual vision in 2023. A commitment to follow what God has laid out for you in your life. A clarity of purpose. And it all comes to you when you choose to obey God. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of obedience. I thank you, Lord God, that it is not a penalty that holds us back from doing what we want to do, but it unlocks us to a world of freedom that we normally wouldn't see because our nature is evil, because our desires so many times are impure. But when we make you the God of our life, the head of everything and what we do in places unseen, you bless us in so many ways. So teach us, Lord, how to obey you fully. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Respond. Right now, we're heading into our time of response. And I would just encourage you to use this time to hear the word that we just talked about and ask God, hey, what are you speaking to me? And what am I going to do about it? Here's a fun fact here at Mount Pleasant. 20% of the room leaves during response time. I want to encourage you, hey, 15 more minutes. I mean, you see your episodes through when you're watching something, right? See the thing to the end. Because if you can make just a little bit of time to hear from God, guess what? You'll hear him because he'll be speaking. So we respond in a number of ways. And if you're new, you'll see people respond. We've got crosses where you can nail a prayer request, an area that you're struggling with. You can nail it to the cross. You can go to the candle and you can light a candle. And it's a symbol that reminds us that the light of Jesus is shining in areas of darkness. You may want to take communion. And communion is for anyone who's put their hope and faith in Jesus. And you may remind yourself today that you were bought with price. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that's what you may need to remind yourself of today. The baptism tank is ready today. We've got men and women who are going to get baptized all this weekend. And maybe today's the day where you get baptized. We got extra shirts. We got extra. We got everything you need. All you need to do is make that decision. So let's take some time and respond together. If you've received the word, give them a hand clap of praise today.